Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. Now, I'm super excited about this episode today as I feel that we all too often are tangled up in the web of life, feeling like we're suffocating from the expectations of others and the ones that we put on ourselves, our endless list of priorities and that constant need of being connected. In this episode, I have a wonderful chat with Angela Lockwood, who is an occupational therapist, speaker, mother, and author of the new book, Switch Off, How to Find Calm in a Noisy World. I just loved this conversation so much with Angela as we dive deep on a lot of topics that I feel so strongly about. The importance of slowing down, how we spend our time, creating boundaries around technology use, supporting children's growth with our time, creating a habit for health, how our behaviors are teaching our children, and so much more. This is a fun and knowledge-packed episode, and as I said before, one that I've been super excited to share with you. Angela is a beautiful person and someone who genuinely wants to help people, especially kids, to grow, be happy, and fulfilled in their lives. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Angela Lockwood. Hi, Angela. How are you? I'm great, Mike. Thanks for having me here today. Oh, don't be silly. Thank you very much. And whereabouts in this beautiful world do I find you? Oh, look, beautiful world is exactly where I am. I'm in beautiful uh, far north coast of New South Wales on the east coast of Australia up towards sort of halfway between Byron Bay and Gold Coast. So usually people know no matter where you are in the world where Byron Bay is or the Gold Coast is. So I'm sort of smack bang between the two. Oh, happy days. I do love that part of the world. And I'm actually heading up there uh, to the Gold Coast for um, a bit of break over Christmas with the family, which should be fun. Oh, perfect. Good choice. Good choice. It's definitely a great place to escape to. There's a beautiful mix of relaxation and fun. Oh, good. And schoolies week would have finished by then, which is also a positive. <laughs> yeah, you don't go to the Gold Coast anywhere around that time. <laughs> but I, um, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today and diving deep on the switching off topic, which is actually the title of, of your new book. But beforehand, and just to, I guess for a bit of background, you were an elite sportswoman as a hockey player with your sights set on the 2000 um, Sydney Olympic Games. However, you fractured your skull during a game to the point where you, you had to learn how to speak again. Like, what was the realization like when you wanted to say something, but you couldn't? Uh, look, this is such an interesting um, part of my life. And it really is um, one of those moments in when I look back in my life and I go, wow, yeah, actually that did happen. And people ask me about it. And I think, um, yeah, you know, I was 17. And so I was two weeks out sitting um, sitting my HSC, you know, I was uh, playing for New South Wales in hockey. It was just such one of, the, you know, one of those fragile times for a 17-year-old girl who, you know, I lived and breathed hockey. I worked at the hockey centre. I coached hockey. I played in nine teams in one year. So wow. it was like, it's what <laughs> I did. Right? Hockey was all I thought about. And um, yeah, it was just in a game um, where there was a shot at goal and unfortunately the ball lifted. Uh, and I was fullback marking a pole, the, the post of the, the goals, and the ball struck me in the left temple. And the left temple is um, the speech center of the brain. And so I sustained a depressed fracture. So the ball sort of hit, um, and it's not to sort of glow, you know, just wash over this, but, um, you know, in a context, it, the ball hit me in the head uh, sort of at a speed, they believe, just under 200 kilometers an hour. So it was quite a, a significant knock to the head. And um, so it sort of, depressed, the fractured my skull and a whole lot of things happened around that. And so um, I still look back at that time, Mike, and I go, it was actually a really fortunate time for me um, because it taught me so much. Um, life was pretty full on. I was very, um, you know, hockey was what I wanted to do and I was going to the Olympics, make or break. It was all, everything, all my life was around that. And uh, But as a 17-year-old being you know, having to have half your head shaved, 19 staples in your head, 
um, you know, being told that, you know, she may never even be able to speak again. Um, it was a, a big time in my life where I was thinking, wow, all everything I had envisioned for my life has just now changed. Um, but the great thing around that time was I had some amazing support people. Um, I had some great um, health professionals, a fantastic neurosurgeon, and importantly, an amazing supportive family and friend network. And there were times when I was in hospital going through rehab where I thought, wow, okay, what, what does all this mean for me? And um, I was very lucky to be able to tap into those professionals and the love and support around me to help me find some of those answers. Um, and interestingly, um, I wanted to be a journalist. My whole um, you know, professional career, I wanted to be a journalist. And it was during my stay in hospital where uh, I came across an occupational therapist and she was working with me in my rehab. And I just looked at what these amazing people were doing in hospitals and the real difference they were making for people at very vulnerable stages of their lives. And so it was during my recovery, I decided that um, I wanted to become an occupational therapist myself. And so, yeah, so many things changed for me during that time. And like you, you, you talk about there, like a big moment of you going, you know, what does this mean to me? What does life really mean to me? Often when we have or people go through such huge events like that, they they have those thoughts, but not everybody is going to get fractured in the head or not everyone's (laughs) going to be in a car crash or, you know, not everyone has these huge life-altering situations that happen to them. But people, I think, need to start asking those questions. Like, how do you think we can, you know, I guess we're diving pretty deep here quite quickly, but how can we get people to start asking those big questions in their lives without having a big event happen? It's such a great question because never do you want to have a fractured skull or you see these amazing people who are, you know, who are doing great things, even on the speaking platform. You look at the amazing Taria Pitt and, you know, you don't wish that upon anybody to have to go through those learnings. And what I what I believe is people need to look at, yes, people who have gone through those experiences and go, wow, what have they learned? What if I was in that situation myself? What would I do or how would I do it differently? What would I do, you know, on the other side of having that experience? And so I do think there's a lot of um, merit in looking to people who have gone through hardship and there's so many, Mike, there are so many people in in society who are walking around who you wouldn't even know what their backstory is. And I think what, unfortunately, what we do so often is we get caught up in our own little world. We get caught up in our, the sort of the stress of our own lives and we don't take the time to to look up and look around and have a look at these amazing people who are walking among us, among us who have done some pretty phenomenal things and have gone through and have, have done okay on the other side. And it's about looking to them for inspiration. Um, so a, sort of, I guess, to answer your question is how do we do this without having a big traumatic event ourselves? And it is that taking the time to just stop and go, right, what am I actually following the path that I want to? What people, what are other people doing in their lives that I find inspiration in? And could I actually start to take some learnings from them? And so it is that you can't do that when you're living life at full throttle. You yeah. have to slow down to ask yourself those questions. And and I think to that question that you you suggested there about am I following the path that I want to? And I think it's that that I want to is a, is a key element of that because I believe that a lot of people are following a path that potentially they feel they should be doing. Mm. Absolutely, and what the expectation of other people are. Or unfortunately now uh, what we do is we, we look at towards other people and it actually makes us feel um, less than. So you would look at social media and, you know, through, through Facebook and Instagram, we see these amazing images and these amazing stories. And what we find is um, people are now starting to tip over of finding those inspira- inspirational to actually saying, well, my life's not like that. So I'm, I'm a loser or, you know, I'm failing because I don't look like that in my Instagram photos or I don't look like that. And so what we need to do is look to the right people for inspiration rather than just open slather going, come on, everyone, tell me what to do mm. and I'll listen. We need to be really strong on our own on our own path and connecting with the people that are going to help us follow that. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And um, I've even started painting my toenails. So when I take photos of my feet at the beach, it looks really good. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> 
<laughs> Any excuse to paint my, my toenails. <laughs> is that my problem? I need to start painting my toenails more. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you spoke about like when you did fracture, uh, y- your skull was fractured and, you know, you were in the hospital and you're seeing all this amazing work that people were doing. And that's when you decided that, you know what, you wanted to become an occupational therapist. But what is a, what does a typical day of an occupational therapist look like? I just love occupational therapy. I have to admit, I probably, you know, I could probably talk to you about for the next hour about why I think occupational therapy is such a, an amazing profession. But it's not just the OT world that I think is amazing. It's anybody who gives of themselves day in, day out. And um, occupational therapy is just one part of that. And uh, look, a typical day, it's funny you say that because um, I don't think I've ever followed that linear path of what a typical day um, in an OT world is. But w- the thing I love fundamentally about OT, it's really about, actually, for those of you that don't know, because a lot of people don't know what occupational therapy is, it's a profession that's sort of deeply, the teachings are embedded in medicine, psychology and sociology. So when you have the the medical, the psychology and sociology mixed together, what it does is it gives people the opportunity to see people as a whole. So when they have challenges pop up, it's not just about their physicalness or it's not just about their psychology and it's not just about the way they fit into society. It's actually a mix of all three. And so as an OT, what we do is we look at people as a whole. So if a challenge has come up, whether it be a child, um, whether it be someone, you know, and someone who's been injured at work or an elderly person, we look at them and we say, right, what's happened to them in their lives right now that they need to either overcome or minimize and how do we problem solve our way around that and so I love the teachings of OT a typical day in the life of an OT I don't know if there is one um, because we're found in so many different settings there's hospitals there's community-based schools what I do and go and speak at conferences and um, writing. So there's a whole different ways that OTs sort of, I guess, grow, put their fingers into uh, into the world. And But we try to leave our mark in a really positive way. And I think too, when you, and I'll put my hand up, I was one of those people that didn't really know what an occupational therapist did or, or, or really what it was. But when you describe it there as, as the connection of the three of medicine, of psychology, and the third one's escaping my mind here. Sociology. But yep. like, but like when, we, when, we, when you look at those three things, and I guess even in our individual life, when we try to grow, like sometimes we only look at our fitness or sometimes we only look at our diet or sometimes we only look at wanting to make more money or sometimes we only look at our relationships where really it is actually the combination of all of them being healthy to be able to kind of grow individually. Absolutely. And I think, I think a lot of people have looked at the old work life balance. It's something that I, it's a term I don't use myself um, because I've never met anybody who really has got it all sorted in perfect balance all the time. Um, but what I do see is that we need to have all of it working together. So it doesn't mean that, um, you know, your optimal health, your optimal mental health, your business is pumping. Um, you know, life is good like that, but it doesn't always go that way. Um, sometimes we need to focus on our health more than other areas. Other times we need to focus on, you know, the financial side. Uh, other times we need to focus on our relationships more, but it doesn't mean we let everything else slide at the same time. Uh, so the thing with, our, I guess, human beings that we're so complex yet so simple at the same time. Um, because there's so much that goes on within us. But if we actually look at us and we go, you know, we just have to take care of ourselves. We just have to look after ourselves. Um, Then everything starts from that. So you're absolutely right. Our physical health, mental health, our relationships, our satisfaction in our work, um, it all is as equally as important as each other. And it always has to start with making sure, like we said before, that it's the stuff that really is important to us that we're working on. Because when we're living in that frame, everybody always gets the best of us. And when you talk about like what's important to us and, and I, you mm. know, that we're touching on our values and things like that, sometimes people might not know what they are or be able to kind mm. of really articulate what they are. Do, do you have any strategies on you know, what people could do to maybe uncover that? Mm. Uh, definitely always checking in and uh, that checking in with ourselves. Um, is so it's just so important. I think we get so caught up in the the busyness of the things we need to do in our life 
But what we actually don't take the time to do is to step back and go, well, is all that actually making any difference for me or the people in my life or am I just getting stuff done? And there's a really big difference between getting things done and getting the things done that really matter. Um, And because there's always going to be jobs to do, there's always going to be people wanting us to do things for them. But if it's totally out of alignment with what it is that we want to be doing in life, there's always going to be a disconnect. There's always going to be this constant struggle between I'm not happy or I'm not fulfilled, I'm not satisfied with what I'm doing because it doesn't feel right. And um, and we can only we can only really concentrate and notice what we're feeling if we do slow down and step away from all that busyness and go right. Well, where am I at? Where what am I being right now? And it is taking the time just to ask yourself those questions. Yeah, I agree. And it, and it is like we often, especially in the business world, we will ask questions of the business or what do we want to be doing or what customers do we want or, or what growth do we, we want to achieve this year and how are we going to go about doing that. But we never actually take that time to do it from an individual perspective. Mm. And unfortunately, particularly this this time of the year, when we're looking at you know New Year's resolutions, and usually what people do is they make them through the frame of wanting more. So I want more of something. Um, you know, I want to be more successful in in my work this year. Or I want to do more training, or I want you know our financial growth. Or that's all great. But um, what we need to do first is go. Well, what will that bring for us if we're looking at more, more, more? and we're tr- we've already full, <laughs> we've already got this full cup where we're like, I'm about to tip over the edge. If we add more to that, next year is not, or, you know, the year after or the year after that is not going to look any different by adding more all the time. We need to take that time to really step back from everything and go, what have I learned over the last 12 months about myself, about my family, about my relationships, about my business? What are the things I've done really well? And what are the things I might need to change? And when we can do that, goals, news resolutions, whatever, however we want to say it, just have a different purpose and a different meaning. It's just not about ticking boxes anymore. It's actually about, as you say, that growth. And we can only do it by learning from mistakes and learning from the you know, successes we've had in the past. Mm. I, I think too that when, you know, if people are talking about news resolutions and goals, there's always this living in the future. This is mm. like kind of what I, I want to achieve. And, and, we're trying to, and I kind of, the, I guess this similarity that I put to it is like when we're at an art gallery and we're looking at a painting and we, we always look from a distance so we can take the whole painting in. But when we actually get closer and look at the individual brushstrokes and the color, how, how they're mixing with each other, it's it's really different than when you kind of take that step back. But when we try to take a step back at our at our year or our life, it's not complete like that painting is. And it's kind of one of the main reasons why I ask at the end of every podcast, you know, to describe your perfect day. It's because if we kind of want to live a perfect year, well, a year is really just made up of days. And so if you want to live a perfect year or a perfect life, we really need to kind of figure out what our perfect day is. Mm, I, absolutely. I have looked, um, it's funny, I've kept, we have like a goal list. Uh, um, we do set goals every year, my husband and I, and it's funny, we've been together for 20 years. And so we have those, that same book. So every year we add to it. And what I find amazing about it is when you look back, our goals have actually never really changed. <laughs> uh, when I look and I go, it's, we've always pretty much written the same thing. <laughs> So it's not that we haven't ever achieved what we set out to, but it all fundamentally means we want to spend more time with each other. You know, we want to have more family, you know, be have family time, special family time, um, our career goals, but they're all fundamentally the same. And so when I look at that book, it reminds me that um, exactly what you're saying, Mike, it's actually about what is it that we're wanting to be now? Because I don't think if we really, well, I, I believe if we really do connect with what's important to us, nothing really ever changes of what we value in life. It's just, we just add little bits onto it. So Mm. if if your goals can be around who you are and what you want to be doing right here, right now, your yearly goals are just shaping around that. And it's really, yeah. So it's interesting when I found, when I look at back at this book, I just go, well, it's quite fascinating when you go, um, how much goals change and how much we, you know, always want more, but we probably already have what we need. 
Oh, 100%. I think instead of looking, it's really what I'm about. Instead of looking mm. at the future of what you want, like look at what you want and what you can do today to actually, you know, to live immediately Absolutely. instead of in the future. And I think too, to be mindful of, well, if, if this is what I want to achieve, if this is what I really value, and this is, you know, kind of what I, what I do want to achieve in the future, well, how am I spending my time? Does that mm. really align with, with what my values are? Like you, you know, my whole thing is a lot of people's values would be centered around their family. You know, I want to spend more time with the kids. I want to spend more time with the family, yada, yada, yada. But then when you look at maybe they're going to work at seven o'clock in the morning and not getting home until eight o'clock at night, like that's what you're doing every day. Mm. Does that really align with, with your true values and kind of what you want out of life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a struggle that a lot of people have. And it, I know it's a struggle I've had before myself and um, there's never going to be a right way of doing things for your life. There's never a script where people are going to go, look, this is going to be how you can live your perfect life, what we need to do. And I've said it a few times already is just take our foot off the pedal and just slow down a little bit and take that time it can even be on a Friday afternoon at the end of the week, looking back over your week and going, right, how was that for me? <laughs> Did that week work well for me? You know, how am I feeling right now? And uh, I love doing that. Friday afternoons for me is just such a great reflection time. And when I do, I look and I go, right, what have I learned from the week? You know, what have I learned from um, my interactions with people and how do I feel about that? And what that does is it gives me a really great frame to then move forward into the next week yeah. so I don't have to wait year to year. A hundred percent. Having those mini reflections mm. is is great because if if things are kind of getting off the rails, you can catch them quickly before the uh, the end of the year when when everyone kind of has that final reflection. <laughs> That's right. But um, as I mentioned before, you know you do have uh, a new book coming out, and it's uh, it'll be released in January, um, and it's your second book, and it's titled "Switch Off: How to Find Calm in a Noisy World." And I I really can't wait to kind of dive deep on this topic, and I know that we've we've probably already touched on a few elements elements now. But I just believe that that ability to, to switch off, to slow down, to be mindful of what we're doing with our time is such an important but overlooked aspect in our life. But to start, what compelled you to write this book? Well, I, like you, Mike, I, um, I really believe that this is a topic that needs to be discussed right now because through my work, so I work with children uh, in schools talking about this. I work with business owners and I work with executives and one thing that I see is connecting everybody is this real longing to disconnect. And what I mean by disconnect, it's not just about switching off the computer, although that is a big aspect of it, um, that people are saying, oh, my gosh, I'm just contactable 24-7 or this constant need to be switched on all the time. Um, it's a common element that people are seeing as a source of stress is just needing to step away and just re-energize themselves and just almost take a, take a big breath. And um, so it doesn't really matter who you are or what you do. There's, there's themes that are coming through from people. And in, in, for me, I, I know that I could draw on my professional background. I've also, as being an occupational therapist and working a lot with executives in the corporate space around this too, um, I guess the book for me was drawing on all of those skills and experience, but also some personal experience. You know, like you can't be somebody who wanted to play at Sydney 2000 Olympics their entire life and not be a little bit full on. You know, like I've, I've done, if I look back over my life, um, you know, I guess people could say she has energy issues in terms of uh, I like to live life to the full. And what I what it is for me is living life to the full is, um, you know, taking opportunity and going and having doing wonderful things and um, connecting with people. And there's a whole range of things for me where I like to do things differently. And um, that takes a lot of energy and, you know, you can't sort of be someone that sits back and watches the world go by. Um, being like that. So for me, uh, the book is very much, it's a message that needs to be heard right here, right now, because our health is paying the price uh, as a society. It's not going to slow down. Our society is not going to slow down um, if we, you know, just sit back and let it speed up because of technology and the speed of change. But also I hear the, I guess the, the discussions around tables of people and the challenges that people are having, it's not something that we can't ignore. 
um, people are struggling because of this constancy of being on. And so that's what compelled me to write the book. It came from drawings of personal background, um, my, definitely my professional skills, and also, I guess, just a need to go, guys, we, we can do things differently and this is how. Is, but is, is switching off really just sitting back and letting the world go by? Absolutely not. And because we can't. Uh, I think it's really impossible for us to run up into the mountains and sit there and, you know, just, you know, watch the watch the world go by. Although it would be nice and a lot of people like to do that. The reality is we can't. You know, the reality is we still want to be earning good money. We still want to be you know, giving back to society. We still want to be active people in community. And in order to do that, we can't just sit back and chill all the time. You know, we can't lay on the lounge and just chill out because that also has its own detrimental mm. effects to our health. Um, so switching off isn't about disconnecting all the time. What it is, it's actually about being in control of how we use our time. And it's switching off is going, right, there's times where I need to be on. I need to be focused. I need to get things done. But being in control to go, actually, right now, it's time for me to disconnect. It's time for me to step away. Um, I need some time with my family. I, am, I want some time with my partner. I want time for me. And it's about having control of when you flick the switch. It's not about always being off. Mm-hmm. And and I guess one of the big struggles that people have and that we all have is that ability to flick that switch. Why do you think so many people struggle to be able to switch to flick that switch off um a couple of reasons um i think two of the main ones is our um priorities and expectations and it's expectations we place on ourselves and expectations other people put on us so i do believe people say i can't do it because i don't have the time um and we've heard this so many times from so many different people we all have the same time we all have the same amount of time we're never going to get, get given 26 hours in a day. Um, we always will fill the amount of time we have. It's So, you, you know, if you are given an hour's free time, we will find a way to fill it. <laughs> it's, it's just human nature. We fill the amount of space we have. Um, but what I want to encourage people to do is the space that we have, um, try to keep a bit of that space. Try to keep a little bit of um, buffer zone so that you can just chill and, and do whatever it is that you love to do. And so it's not about filling the space with activity and busyness. It's actually about filling the space, again, with that stuff that really is important to you. Um, and that pri- that's very much around priority management is going what actually is important to do right here, right now. Because um, just a little bit off tangent here, but what I find a lot of people do, particularly in my when I'm doing my mentoring programs, is people work off their wish list. They don't work off their priority list. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've all got those lists that have got 50 things on it of things that are just sitting in our brain or we would like to do. So people work off that. And so what they're constantly seeing is 50 things to do every day. And it just adds to the overwhelm and the stress. Instead, what I encourage people to do through the mentoring programs is to say, well, let's actually look at out of those, what are the things that has to be done right here, right now? And, it's, um, and when we do that, we find there's usually only about two or three things that really need our attention. And what that does is it releases the pressure valve. So that's the priority side of things. The other side that I mentioned was around um, expectations. And we place so much expectation on ourselves. It's mad. <laughs> like, I'm sure you've experienced this yourself. Is We just have these high expectations that are totally unrealistic. And we wonder why at the end of the day we haven't met them. We haven't met the expectations we've placed on ourselves because we do them so far out of our reach and it's not in connect with what it is, again, that matters to us. It's what we think needs to happen. Um, So I really believe that priorities and expectations are a really big reason why people find it so hard to switch off. But there is a little bit of a third aspect and that is technology. It's this constant connectivity that that we have in our society now that's finding it really hard to switch off. People feel like they need to be on constantly Otherwise, they're not keeping up, and it's not—it's not true. Yeah, I—I I think that that third one definitely has hit home for me, and it—it it really releases so much. Like for, 
you know, and I have spoken about this a little bit on the podcast and I've written some articles about it, but when we were over in America, uh, my wife and I and our four year, then four-year-old daughter, we didn't have the ability to have roaming data uh, on our Australian iPhones. And so we just kind of bought a little phone over there just for emergency reasons, which was, you know, you could text and call on it. So the only time that we were actually connected to the internet was when we were home having Wi-Fi. So when we were out at the beach or I was at a park with Andy, I was connected with her the whole time, even if we weren't, you know, one-on-one engaged. If she was playing with, you know, some newfound friends, I was still connected with her and it made such a big difference. And, you know, yeah, I'm still all over social media, but I I do that in batches um, when I'm at home and, and when the time works for me, not just when I'm bored. So I have these moments of sitting and waiting, of looking around, of smiling at someone that I've never met before or playing with a kid in the grocery line. And, you know, another great thing that I've, that I've done that I actually did before we, we went away on our trip was actually just take email off my phone. And so Mm. again, I, instead of being on, 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 you know, I get to those emails and again, I usually do it batch it twice in the morning and then in, in the evening so twice a day and that's kind of when I get back to people and outside of that I'm I'm doing things instead of kind of just reacting to what's coming coming at me yeah and you just hit, said a word Mike which I think is really important is um reacting a lot of people what we're doing now is we're actually living in a reactivity mode so we're reacting to whatever dings we hear whatever responses we have whatever phone calls it's like constant reactivity and when we do that we're always in this sort of heightened sense of arousal it's like oh quick I've got to do that quick I've got to do that oh okay now there's another one and it's like you're constantly and I in the book I talk about um, this sense of constantly being overstimulated and it's like constant stimulation and when you're constantly stimulated we're not giving ourselves that time to switch off we're not giving ourselves the time to you know just chill Mm -hmm. like um and you can't constantly constantly be being overstimulated and um so that constant connectivity of the dings and the messages that are coming in um we can be in total control of that so so on that point that's exactly right we can be in total control of that we can take email off our phones we can like right now now that we're back in australia like i don't have data like i don't have roaming data on my phone like it's there because it's impossible not to get a phone plan that doesn't have data Mm. but it's it's not on my social media accounts um you know i we you, you can take all the notifications off your phone like these are simple changes that we can easily make in our life and have control over that so i guess that's a really vital question of why don't people do that? Mm. Um, it is, again, when we look back at the priorities and expectations argument that the expectations of that other people place on us is a real, really big factor why. Um, because we feel like if we do do things like that, we're not meeting the expectations of other people. But the you know the the boss needs us you know they they really need they need us to respond quickly or if I don't get back to a client straight away it means I might lose that business and um, you know sometimes there is an element of truth in that um, we have got this expectation unfortunately nowadays that people are always waiting for us to you know they're always waiting for us uh, if we need them and uh, I love uh, Michael I often giggle about it when people send emails. Or they call you to see if they you just received yeah. their email. <laughs> I just go, yes, I did. Thank you, and I will get to it. Um, and you know, there are things that are really important, and then we will always find the time and the attention to give the stuff that is really important. But unfortunately, we're letting all that other stuff that isn't important take over. And um, so it is. It's the reason why I guess is what your question was, Mike. Um, why can't we? I think the expectations that other people are having on us really does have a huge effect, but also we have this sense that we might miss out on something. Mm. You know, if we don't stay constantly connected, are we missing out on something? And I find that quite um, quite sad, actually, in terms of our need to always be in and on and with people. And it's being around people is energizing, but can also be really exhausting. And that's what we're finding through social media. Uh, and through that constant connectivity through our emails that um, people are actually saying, please just leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> just, just give me some space. Just leave me alone for a little while. And 
you know, I've heard people, a phone rings, they'll, in, in you know, ladies in their handbags, and they'll go, go away. <laughs> they'll tell their phone to go away when it rings. And to me, that's quite alarming. To me, that's that I'm looking at people who are looking at a piece of technology that really should enable us to do so many wonderful things. It's becoming a source of stress and, and tension for us. And that's why we really need to start to flick the switch. And a lot of the busyness or the craziness of of life is surrounded by work. And And I'm not saying that you know, we all understand we need to work and we need to contribute to society and, and, and grow as a whole. But what are your thoughts on the connection between not being able to switch off and material possessions? Because I feel that a lot of the time we work, 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 work to make more money. But, but what is this money being spent on? And if we, mm. if we had a, a real hard look at what we really need from um, a possession side of things in our life, would we then have the ability to potentially work less? And if we mm. could work less, could we switch off easier? Would we be able to create more downtime in our life? I was really fortunate um, to um, – I, I produced two magazines um, about 12 months ago and it was for health professionals and I just had this need to highlight and really shine the light on people in the health industry who were really making huge differences, you know, really doing some amazing things. And it was through a lot of the interviews I did for those magazines where I realised and it really it just so – it sort of hit me like a ton of bricks and I thought – you know, the sl slowing down for people is actually an energizing tool. So it's, and what we do, unfortunately, too many times is we, we switch off and slow down when we're exhausted already. But what a lot of people who are really successful do is they embrace these daily habits of switching off. And what they do is that it's like they're topping up their energy stores constantly. So they have the ability to keep up with what they need to do during the day. So basically, when they have daily habits of switching off, they're more effective, they're more focused, and they're actually more productive. So they find that there's an over, there's a flow on around financial success. They find that there's a flow on um, for what they can do with their community. And importantly, there's a flow on for the energy that they can give their patients and clients and customers. And so I think for people to realize that when you slow down and when you do take these moments of switching off, the more regularly you can do it, the more energized you are and when it's game on, you're ready. You know, you've got the focus, you've got the energy and you've got the attention to really, you know, get things done probably in half the time than what you would if you were trying to push through being exhausted. And um, I think I, I write a lot for magazines, Mike, and um, for a whole genre of magazines. And um, if I'm, you know, writing for executive magazines, the messages are still exactly the same as if I'm writing for a kid's health magazine, you know, for a child's parenting mm. magazine. Because what, what, what it is is this, this thing about us starting to get in control of our lives and not letting all these external things control us. And when we can start to feel in control, that ripple effect in every aspect of our lives occurs because we feel connected with who we are, we feel connected with our path, and we're, sta we're taking the time to notice the really great things we have in life and we embrace that more. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned about taking time out each day and how that can actually have a, a positive effect on your life because I sometimes feel that there's this negative connotation to personal time and that you're not on the go full ball and in a sense oh, maybe you kind of can't hack it and things like that. But mm. I 100% agree that it is, it is kind of like instead of going to the petrol station when you're completely empty and you're just rolling in, you're kind of going, you're making sure that you go at the start of each day so you, mm. you, you can kind of just go the whole day without really having to think about it. Yeah, and when we're exhausted, we're hopeless. <laughs> when we're exhausted, we are no good to anybody. You know, because when, when, we're, when we're in that point of overwhelm and exhaustion and feeling overstimulated, what happens is, is that people are getting the worst of us. So they're getting the snappy, the cranky, the, the you know, version of us that really no one likes mm. to be around. And so we are not being good for anybody else and particularly not for ourselves because we beat ourselves up that we're not taking care of ourselves. 
Whereas if we can create these daily habit, these daily habits, and in um, in the switch off, I write um, a whole chapter on how to create a habitat for health. And what I mean by creating a habitat for health is, you know, habitat is the environment in with which you we, uh, you live and you thrive. And our habitat is our home, our work. And so I talk a lot about how do we create a habitat that actually promotes us, our health and our well-being, and it promotes us and allows us to switch off when we need to. And a lot of that, the thoughts around the habitat for health is about being prepared, being organised, and I don't mean having a perfectly clean house. I just mean having the tools that you need ready for when you need it. And um, when we can create that habitat around us and this wonderful environment around us, it all becomes easy. Um, Switching off should not be a hard thing to do um, at all. It should actually be something that we just do when we need to and as a part of our daily routine. And you spoke to Angela about daily habits. Like what are, you know, some examples of these habits that people could kind of inject into their their daily life? Mm. Um, Well, definitely, uh, you know, the old school way that we all know is you got to exercise. And it's not about going and doing a boot camp or going to the gym. Just get outdoors and be active. It could be playing with your kids in the park. It could be just going for a walk. You know, you look at retirees or, you know, there's so many, if you look out in the streets, there's so many people who are elderly, they'll go for a walk after dinner. And it's fantastic. It's a good reason for that. Very rarely do you see families out walking after dinner. You know, very rarely do you see, you know, individuals outside walking just in the streets after dinner um, that it's sort of getting outside and take, making the most of the day and the night to be active. Um, other than that, there's also obviously fueling your body, sorry, fueling your body well. But it's not just about what you eat and, you know, your exercise. It's also about what you do for your mind. Um, one of the practices that I actually sort of laugh that I do now, <laughs> next I never thought I would, is I meditate. Yeah. And I know that, you know, I shouldn't, people are probably go, what, she's laughing at meditation. And it's not that I'm laughing at meditation. If you were to ask a younger version of me that one day I'd be meditating, I would just go, are you kidding me? Um, because I didn't understand the real benefits and the power of having a still mind. And so a part of my daily routine without fail um, is just to sit and be still. And I don't sit there for half an hour to an hour, you know, going off into this beautiful space. Sometimes it's five minutes where I just sit and I go, I need to think about my day. I need to just be here with me right now. Uh, So I do see that is an absolute um, game changer for me and helping helping me to quiet my mind and to find focus. And I I know that your listeners would be like, hallelujah, I've got someone else. I I, I second that. I think that, you know, I have been meditating now for probably two years or so and it's um, – I I love it. It, It's good. Mm. I can tell that – I can tell a difference in myself the days that I don't – and I'm sure my wife would second that. Yeah, and that feeling of um, you can tell the difference just says the power. And I hope for your listeners who don't uh, meditate, look at it as if you don't like the word meditation, just look at it as it's time for you just to sit and be quiet. And I think we look at meditation and, you know, a lot of those sort of ancient practices and we go, oh, you know, it's all a bit out there. And But you can actually sit at your desk and meditate. You don't have to have, you know, like roll out your yoga mat and have candles around, unfortunately, which is what a lot of people think you have to do. You can meditate sitting at your desk if, you know, if you need to throughout the day. I really see it as very as quietening your mind. And when you have an active mind like I do, it is absolutely imperative because it gives me clarity. And, um, yeah, so for your listeners that are, I'd say if, you've, if you're going, hey, I eat well, I exercise well, but meditation's the missing piece. Just start small. Just give yourself an opportunity for a minute or two every day, just to sit and be still. I'll um, I'll also put some links in the slow in the slow notes in the show notes. Um, <laughs> I like it. I'm, I'm starting to get your mind, Mike. <laughs> to um to some cool um meditation apps that might help people who are starting out. Things like Headspace, which I know was a great one for me, and 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 also Insights. But we've also spoken, Angela. You've touched on kids in mm. some um some topics today and i'd like to go the, in in that direction now like what would be some of the benefits of switching off and how that is going to have an effect on the, on your kids 
Mm. You know how you have those things in life, Mike, that people say, what is your biggest passion? And for me, it's, I, you know, I really believe that everyone deserves the best start in life. Mm. It's always been my driving, my, my driving passion. And I really do, even though I love what I do, if you, if I look at children who are not having being afforded love and they're not being afforded the you know feeling of feel the safety you know feeling safe you can even hear me i can't even mm. talk properly now because it really gets um it really hits home for me that so many children don't have the things that they deserve and i don't mean material things at all i don't mean that at all i mean that feeling the feelings of being loved and safe and so children have always been that thing for me that um i have have yeah anyway i'm not even communicating articulately anymore because um you've really hit a, a soft spot <laughs> for me i'm actually a pediatric trained occupational therapist so my background um I've, i ran a health center for children with special needs and we had occupational therapy physios um, speech pathologists and psychologists because my vision was always for children who have um, disabilities or have developmental delays um, or, you know, even children who are quite severely um, behaviourally challenged, I always wanted them to be able to come to therapy and feel like they were coming to a safe space and feeling like um, they were coming home. And so I did that for um, about eight years. And um, seeing these children who are finding it hard to fit into, into the world, they're finding it hard um, to find their space in life, um, ultimately what I, you know, with the kids, they, what they, all they want is to feel loved and feel happy and feel like they fit into the world. And it's the stuff that we all want. And so it's the, it, what children want is no different to what adults want. And, um, you know, they all, they all want to have fun as we do. We want to find joy in our lives as they do. They want friends as what we do. They want to feel fulfilled. They want to be, you know, doing great things at school as we do at work. And so my, my real, work with children is very much um, for them to be able to still feel like they're keeping up with life and still being able to fit in with life, but having the the space and the clarity for them to be able to still be kids. Because I think we're seeing kids grow up way too fast. Mm. We're seeing kids now connected with technology and they're being stimulated by things that um, they don't need to be stimulated by yet. Um, so for kids to be playing, I'm a big advocate, get kids outside. Yeah. <laughs> Get them out and play. It's not rocket science. You know, it's just kids need to be outdoors. They need their bodies to be, you know, feeling what it's like to fall off things or they need to be feeling what it's like to, you know, jump and slide on things. And unfortunately, we've got them stuck in front of iPads and TVs constantly. They're not getting those experiences. But, so, but, but being so- being stuck in front of the iPad and, and all this technology and, and not being outside, like if we if we go deeper to the reasons why that's happening, I, I think that you've hit the nail on the head in the sense that a lot of it is happening because adults aren't switching off. Adults aren't giving the time like for, you know, with kids being able to kind of feel loved and be together with their their parents and at the end of the day you know kids just I I forget this guy who had this great speech and I will link to it in the podcast notes but um, he says that kids spell trust t-i-m-e and it's so true it's about spending that time with the kids and if we don't allow ourselves to switch off or if we don't prioritize what's important with our family and our kids then our kids, in a sense, spend their own time and they will gravitate towards the iPad or putting a kid on the iPad or the TV is the, is an easy way so you can keep doing the busyness of your own personal life. But then the effects of that that we kind of see as kids get into their teens and, and I'm, I've been working at, at a primary school now and I'm even seeing it with like nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds. And it's, you know, I think that it's such a strong message to take this time out as parents and, and like you, I am, I feel so strongly about the development of kids and I'm a big believer that if we can just get kids to grow with smiles on their faces, it will have a huge effect on the world in the future. But like we kind of need to be able to take that time out ourselves so we can spend it with our kids. I um, just recently wrote an article and um, for a magazine, and it was very much around what it's what was called. What are our behaviours teaching our children? And um, 
I wrote in there that as adults, we can't tell children to switch off, to get off, to get outside if we're sitting there scrolling through social media while we're telling them to do that. You know, we if they're constantly seeing us sitting in front of the computer or we're coming home flopping on the lounge with a beer in our hand watching TV and we're telling kids to go and read a book, there's such a disconnect between what, unfortunately, what we're telling children to do and what our own behaviours are showing. And children look to us as role models. They look to us to help us navigate their lives. They, they look to us for guidance. So what alarms me is our behaviours are teaching children the wrong way to do things because we're struggling ourselves. And um, when you look at children, unfortunately, I still work in schools now because it is such a passion area um, that, yeah, I'll see children, the, the diagnosis, I guess, and the challenges that I'm seeing come through now to what I did 10 years ago. We're looking at children who are isolated, feeling isolated in kindergarten. We're looking at, you know, which is the first year of school. Um, we're looking at kids that are having difficulty concentrating and attending. Most of my referrals or most, you know, most of the referrals I get from teachers and parents is challenges with attending and concentrating. And a lot of that is because when you're at school, you're not constantly stimulated. You know, there's it, when children need to know how to do nothing, and um, which is what you know we we had to do nothing with nothing when we were you know when we're growing up. Um, but there is a real balance between children need to keep up with the advancements of technology. They need to be technology savvy because it's the world that's the way the world's going. But in order for them to keep up, they need to really adopt the skills of how to switch off as well, um, because we're still social beings. We still need to be able to become resilient. We still need to develop those real independent skills um, alongside our advancements in technology and alongside the speed of life. And when the two can melt in together, we're going to have a beautiful generation that are coming through with very savvy, well-rounded children. Um, but unfortunately, what I'm seeing is a little bit um, of a tip to the opposite. We're seeing children who are having difficulties socially interacting with other children. We're seeing children who, when they sit down, they just pull out a piece of technology rather than just sitting and playing with other kids. And I write a lot and switch off about my um, experiences with working with children, my opinion um, about working with children. So if it is an area for your listeners that, you know, hits a, I've hit a note with them and we've hit a note with that, um, the book really covers that in a lot more detail. And I think you're 100% right. Like that kid who's reaching and grabbing that piece of technology is is doing that because that's the behavior that his parents are, do, are doing and, and that's what they see. And, and I, I really believe that as you do is that kids are kind of echoing our, our behavior. But like on that, I feel it's going to be a similar debate to eating healthy. You know, mm. I feel... And hey, and I shouldn't say that everyone has heard this. Maybe I've just heard it a thousand and one times. Is that you know, the, what you eat is what you become, and and you need to eat healthy to be healthy, and things like this. But the obesity level of of our country is is going through the roof, and 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 of the Western world, are we? You know, we've all heard to put the the, the devices down to get outside, but we still struggle to do it. Is this going to be an issue like obesity is in the future or, or, or is it already an issue like obesity? It already is. Yeah, it already is. And it's not a doom and gloom story. It's definitely not a doom and gloom because we have the ability to make the changes of this. Again, we have the ability to be, be in control of this. Um, but with, with our behaviours, we have to always start, no matter what change we need to make, it always starts with you as the individual. What I see too many times is parents, you know, will go, my child won't talk to me anymore or my child won't, you know, go outside and play or my child just wants to be on technology all the time. And it's always about how do I fix my child? But when we turn the spotlight on our own behaviours, when we really, when we look at ourselves and go, well, what actually am I doing that could be impacting on this? The whole conversation shifts and that can feel quite uncomfortable when we need to turn the spotlight on ourselves because it means we're going to have to work on ourselves. We're going to have to work on our behaviours and our thoughts. But it is really the only way we can affect change is by starting with our own behaviours and then that way people will pick up on it. Look, one of the things that always baffles people, my children don't watch TV or play on technology during the week. 
And I know I hear lots of other people do that. I have two young children um, and they're at school and people are, how do you do that? <laughs> I go, I just tell them they can't. <laughs> it's, um, but in saying that, there's times where I they go, mum, do you mind if I you know, do something on the iPad? And I'm like, absolutely, go for it. You got half an hour. And so what it is, again, it goes right back, Mike, to the very beginning of this podcast. It's about creating really clear um, priorities and expectations and having those boundaries around it. So technology is not bad for kids. It is amazing. It has done a wonderful. We wouldn't be able to do this without technology. So it's not a bad thing. What is, a, what is making it a bad thing is um, we're letting it take over. Hmm. And so all we've got to do is step back and go, right, if my children are on technology too much, let's create some boundaries around that. Um, you know, if my children aren't talking to me enough, then how? let's have a look and just see when they come home from school, what are we doing when they're telling us about their day? Yeah. You know, let's just turn the spotlight a little bit on ourselves. And, yes, it can be challenging. Um, look, and it, can, it doesn't mean you always, you always have to be perfect at it either. It's just I encourage people to slow down long enough just to have a look and notice about what's really going on. And, and also to, to make changes, you have to do different things. You, you know, do. You, you, can't, yeah, you can't want different things but still do the uh, same thing. No, um, Albert Einstein. I don't even know if it's the right if it comes actually comes from Albert Einstein. You know, everyone says that it does, but you know, um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Um, I think what we, if when it comes to our children, what we need to do is think: Are these children? Are we growing children? Are we helping support children to really be able to adapt to the speed of change in our lives? And um, it's not just about teaching them more stuff. It's not about adding more to their plate or getting them, you know, clever or adding more, more, more. It's actually about saying, guys, let's slow down long enough. Do what you're meant to do from a physical development point of view. Do what you build the resilience that you're going to need to be able to keep up. And I really think the children that are encouraged to do that from a young age will be the children who um, we will see long into our future making really positive change in our world. Yeah. I second that. I really do. And I, I hope that is one of the, the big things that people take from, from this conversation. But my, my final question for you, Angela, and I did kind of allude to it earlier on, and it is a question that I ask all my guests, and that is if you could please describe your perfect day. <laughs> I loved I love this question because it doesn't make you think, what would I actually do? Um, look, for me, it's waking up in the morning and having a little snuggle with the kids in bed. Um, I know some people are just like, get me, get them off me. But I love when the kids come and jump in and they, they give me a little cuddle in bed and it's like, okay, let's get up now. It's just so beautiful. It starts the day off gorgeous. Um, definitely I love to do something active. So whether it be my meditation or, you know, going outside, um, even just walking through the garden sometimes, um, I just love it. If I don't have time to go and actually you know, do something, exercise, just getting outside first thing in the morning. Um, I'm having a yummy brekkie. Oh, I love breakfast. Um, and I do love having a really productive day of work. I love feeling productive, um, feeling like what I'm doing is, you know, taking me forward. Um, I don't like days where I'm lost in just stuff. Um, so feeling productive is a perfect day for me, um, doing what I love. And then at the end of the day, you know, really just wrapping it up with, reading to the kids before they go to bed. I love that time. It's always this gorgeous cut. It feels like it sounds like I just cuddle my kids all the time and I probably do, but. Um, Which is not a bad thing. <laughs> but I love the end of the day doing their readers and cuddling them, sitting, you know, on the lounge and doing this beautiful family time. And then um, ran, yeah, finishing the day by having a chat to hubby. Mm -hmm. I love talking to my husband just about how the day went and what's happening and just chilling with him. And sometimes it's over a glass of wine. Um, you know, sometimes it's just, I don't know, while we're cleaning up, making lunches. So for me, it's a really simple day. Um, it's very much around being with my family and just taking that time to look around and doesn't mean that I'm sitting chilling out all day because I love having a good productive day at work. Yeah. I love do I love what I do. And if at the end of the day, I can come home and go somehow I've made a positive impact today, then it's happy days. Happy days. I think too, when you, when you actually look at what your perfect day is, I think people would be surprised at how simple it is. 
And, mm. and, you know, it kind of goes back to everything that we've been talking about. Sometimes it's that simplicity of switching off and what, you, what is it that you, you do really love is actually attainable. But you talk about, you, you, you know, having those morning cuddles with your, your kids and our five-year-old Andy, she still comes into bed each morning with us. But is there an age where kids stop sleeping horizontally? And they start, they start sleeping with their, their heads down because I always get her feet and my wife gets the head and I'm, I'm convinced I'm going to wake up with the bloody nose one day. Do you know, one thing I know is I have, I have a nine and a seven-year-old and um, my nine-year-old's nearly taller than me and um, he's very, they're very tall children and I just look and I think I feel like it's not going to be too far away when he's just going to want to stop cuddling. But I think there's the phys- I can't actually lift him anymore. <laughs> he's too heavy. So all I say is embrace whatever stage they're at because, what you know, you don't want one day for them to go, you know what, no, nah, I don't want to cuddle anymore. That's probably, you know, if I look at what one of my, you know, I hope never changes in life is that, that love from your children and that being able to just sit there and go, yeah, life's good. 100%. We've got what we need. 100%. Are there cicadas in the background? Uh, actually, yes. Um, <laughs> yes, they are. Can you hear those? I can't. How, that is su- <laughs> such an Australian summer. I was like, what is that sound? They're, they are super loud. That is beautiful. Oh, look, we have, I'm very fortunate to um, you know, live, in a, live in a beautiful space. And uh, yeah, you can hear the cicada. Sometimes you can hear uh, red-tailed black cockatoos outside. We're very fortunate for that. But there's this one frog every night. And I have to admit, it keeps me up. It's uh, a March frog and it's just so loud. So for those of you who are listening uh, overseas, uh, if you haven't been to Australia, be prepared to love nature. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah and I think for, for listeners as well, Mike, um, this all sounds like what a lot of people do when they look at switching off. They think it's about having to do more. It's, you know, about starting the new health kick or starting, you know, to do things in a big way. It's not at all. When you think about switching off, you should feel an overwhelming calm that comes straight over you rather than feeling tension. And so if you're feeling about slow, you know, if your feelings of slowing down comes with tension, um, actually sit there and go, why am I feeling tense? It should make you feel happy to know that you can just slow down and switch off in whatever way you choose to do that. Um, it's going to be good for you and it's going to be fantastic for the people in your life. Here, here. I, I really do love it. I, I've, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation so thank you so much Angela for your time and for your hints I I really feel that there is so much in this conversation that people could actually easily instill into their lives and and grow and at the end of the day hopefully all the parents that are listening can actually take some note of this and and shine that light on themselves as you said to hopefully raise those kids with even bigger smiles on their faces because that is is really my my end goal for for everything but if people do want to reach out to you and follow your story or um purchase your book what's the best way for them to do that uh everything is really on the website so it's just angelalockwood.com.au um, there's it's pretty much the portal for everything. Um, but also um, in Instagram, I'm quite active on Instagram because I love visual imagery. Uh, <laughs> I love I love looking at pretty things. So um, Instagram is Angela Lockwood with just an underscore. If you check that out, um, and on the the great thing is um, with the book, it hits bookstores in the first week of January. And um, it is going all across Australia, but also it'll be internationally released as well. So hopefully for those of you that are listening overseas, you'll find them in a bookstore near you. Um, but so there's, yeah, there's so many ways. And I, I hope the messages that I'm sending through all these platforms really make it tangible that people realize that we really, you know, we do have everything we need in life. Mm-hmm. We just got to slow down long enough to notice. 100%. Slow down and enjoy it. Yep. I definitely Absolutely. Agree. Well, I'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes as usual. And um, do you have any final comments? Is there anything that we've missed out or have we? I feel like I could talk to you all day, Mike, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we should do this another time. Most um, definitely. Look, I, I th- just for listeners to, to see slowing down is not about checking out and it's not about a, a weakness or a vulnerability. Slowing down is actually about you being in total and absolute control of how your life plays out. And um, it should make you feel happy and it should just make you feel good and realize that you really do have everything you need already. Well, thank you, Angela. And um, I 
I can't wait for people to really wrap their, their hands around their book and their thoughts around your message. But uh, everyone else listening, thank you again. And like always, have fun and live immediately. That was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.